0: Welcome back to another great episode of the Cross-Border Interview Podcast. If you don't know by now, my name is Christopher Brown and I will be your host. Since the launch of this podcast, I've been asked the exact same thing. Why are you doing this? And I give everyone the exact same answer. This podcast is about talking to people in an intimate setting and just having a discussion. Today, we find ourselves often becoming keyboard warriors and have forgotten the lost art of having a conversation. So with that in mind, in 2019, I started this podcast to achieve one goal, get people talking again with no notes, no questions. I sit down with subjects to learn about them from them. And today's guest is no exception to that. Today, I sit down with Canadian author Tracy Tonkinson. Tracy is a crime series fiction writer, and her first book series was set in Chicago in the 1880s. We talk about her writing method, her love of books, and what's next for the series. So enjoy cross border interviews featuring Tracy Tonkinson. Crazy. I usually do an introduction, but that's in post 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 show. I guess I do the recording of this show. Um, I want to thank you very much for doing this. It's greatly appreciated, and so quick too. Uh, I'm just putting this out there right now. I have you on two screens right now. I have the Skype going on one and the recording just to check the audios. So I'm looking at myself, but I'm looking at you as well. Okay. All right. Good. That's great. So uh, my first question. I, I gotta get this out of the way because we're in this pandemic right now how is life being with COVID-19 right
1: now well you know what the the beauty of being a writer is that lockdown is our usual metier right so like everyone else is losing their shit and I'm thinking like this is my everyday life what is wrong with you people (laughs) but yeah uh you know it's a serious situation and uh Family wise, we have a couple of people in the house who, you know, are are borderline. For, for possibly uh, getting it really badly, so we we want to be careful. Uh, we don't want anybody getting sick. Uh, I have a horrible suspicion that the house may have been sick uh, over New Year with it, but uh, it's not proven. So okay, and uh, I know you've had a had a bout with it too. Yeah. So it's pretty nasty stuff, and people need to be careful. I wouldn't wish
0: it upon my worst enemy, and uh, no. uh, like I'm glad that you're keeping safe and you're doing you're practicing the social distancing, physical distancing. Oh. As much as you can in a small rural community like Orno, but yep. uh, it, it, it's glad. I'm glad to hear that you're doing okay. Um, Thanks. My uh, usually the first question I ask, but now it's the second question because of COVID. Uh, is where does your passion for writing come from?
1: Um, I've always had it, I guess. Um, I mean, as a kid, I uh, at school I used to write little kind of uh, almost comic books uh, about. The teachers and you know some of our some of our school friends and stuff, and we would have weird adventures in these things, and uh, so I just used to kind of handwrite them and draw the little pictures and hand them around the class, and people seemed to like them. Uh, they were fun, they were funny, and you kind of get a taste for that when you when you're younger. You realise that you know what people really do love stories, and. Uh, uh, that's never really gone away for me. So
0: what, was your writing fostered as a child? Did your mother and father uh, encourage it? No.
1: No. <laughs> okay. No, 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 no. It was, uh, I mean, uh, there were always loads of books in the house. Don't get me wrong. Reading was always encouraged. And I read voraciously, and I read all kinds of stuff. Um, But I I mostly liked adventure stories. So, you know, other other kids would be reading, I don't know, um, kind of girly things, and I'd be reading like the Hardy Boys and stuff like that. And uh, uh, a lot of things that were probably not right for my age, but they were really good stories. And um, so... I was always, always encouraged to read but when we kind of, when, when you don't know anybody who is a writer and you say to your parents and, you know, and you're know, you a young kid growing up in the Midlands, I want to be a writer and they just kind of look at you like you're crazy as though you, you want to be an astronaut or something and uh, so no, it wasn't really encouraged in that way um, but they did encourage reading and I think if you're going to be a writer you absolutely have to read and so inadvertently, I think they did actually give me quite a lot of encouragement along the way.
0: So what were some of those books that you would be uh, you, you talked about Hardy Boys, but what other books and what other authors were you uh, gravitating towards as a young uh, girl in uh, England or the Midlands, as you said? Yeah,
1: well, I, I always had a passion for history. Um, so I used to uh, read a lot of historical adventures um, and obviously, um, growing up in the UK, you cannot avoid, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes, right? So you know, even- like the omnibus edition of that was a must in our house. And uh, so, I mean, as I kind of got a little bit older, I gravitated more towards mysteries that were written by the golden age mystery writers. So Agatha Christie, of course. I mean, who doesn't like Poirot and uh, and Miss Marple and uh, Marjorie Allingham, who uh, had a character called Campion, who is uh, uh, set in the 1920s at very obvious time but great great stories and uh, Nio Marsh all those kind of writers Dorothy L Sayers um, so I, I kind of devoured those really um, and then as I as I got older still I fell across Bernard Cornwell who if anybody knows the sharp TV series Um I'm trying to think who the actor was. Uh, I think Sean Bean played the character of Sharp. But basically the story of Sharp is he's um, uh, a guy who is in the Napoleonic army of uh, Britain. In the 1700s, and so it's all the campaigns that he goes on, uh, but of course there are adventures and a little bit of romance and some intrigue and all that kind of stuff. And those things were just amazing. You know, in the UK we have a, a term "ripping yarns," and uh, they were ripping yarns. It just means it's really riveting stuff. You. Got to turn the page. You, you know, you kind of you get to the end of it and you go, "Wow, that was an adventure." And so those were the kind of things that I that I gravitated towards always.
0: Do you still gravitate towards those now?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I I got to be honest. I mean, I went through a phase where I read a lot of biographies and autobiographies, and biographies, by and large, are probably reliable. But um, I I keep a diary. Okay, I've kept a diary. <laughs> I don't know probably 30 years now and when you keep your own diary you realize how much bullshit there is in an autobiography (laughs) so I kind of you know you look at the kind of public persona and then you read their autobiography and you go "Uh uh-uh these two things are not the same So I gave up on autobiography pretty early on in the game because it was like, you know what, I understand that this is your reading of of what you've been through, but it's not what the rest of us saw. Well, it's not
0: even so. them reading it. It's their ghost writers reading it if you're reading uh, political bi- yeah, autobiographies. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, exactly. That's the other thing, right? I mean, how many of these things have been ghostwritten by by people? Because like I'm assuming them, so. Justin
0: Trudeau did not sit down and write Common Ground all <laughs> by himself. OK. <laughs>
1: Come on, if you give him the right crayon, anything is possible.
0: You never know. You never know. <laughs> you never know. I'm never gonna run for <laughs> politics again, so come on, I can say these things now.
1: Oh, politics, man. Um now we're on dangerous ground. Oh
0: <laughs> Donald Trump <laughs>
1: Oh, please.
0: I just had a I had another uh, interview a few minutes ago, and that's why I was running late. And I said Donald Trump and the person said, we don't talk about DT in this uh, conversation at all. It's like, (laughs) okay, okay. Um, But back to books, what authors are you like? Are you finding the gradual decline of people reading books? Let's start with that one first.
1: They well they they always have said over the last probably twenty years the book is dead okay the novel is dead and then you look at all of the um, transition there's been from bricks and mortar books to um, downloading books to now audio books are a big thing um and so the book is the the book the novel is never dead because again people always need stories people always want to know you know another f- um, existence that they maybe don't have, or to to just be taken out of the existence that they've got by the story that you're going to tell them. And so, in terms of book sales, I think bricks and mortar stores have probably been quite badly impacted. If you walk down the high street, you know there are very few um, independent bookstores anymore, because uh, places like uh, it used to be called Chapters when it started, but it's called Indigo now, I think in Canada uh, and uh, Barnes & Noble in the States and um, of course The Great Zon uh, which I'm not going to bad because my stuff is exclusively on The Great Zon so uh, you know um, but I mean I know from my own um, buying that I I I buy probably five times as many books now as i did 10 years ago and i do that because i can download them straight away so i put them on my phone i put them on my laptop i can i could read them anywhere like if i'm on the train or or whatever and of course the other thing that being able to to read your books electronically is nobody else can see what you're reading so you know 50 shades of gray nobody is embarrassed
0: (laughs) Well, I'm embarrassed for you for reading that, but anyway, we'll just we'll just <laughs> well, leave
1: that. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but now you mention it. But you know what? God love her; she's made millions, and I wish I was in that in that category. But yeah, you know, I mean, uh, like the th- the thing that struck me about that, in in terms of shaming, if you want, was uh, when they brought out the adult editions of uh, Harry Potter. Because I love Harry Potter, right? You know, like that was my my childhood growing up that was what my school was like they all wore those weird gowns and you stood up when they came in the room because you were terrified of them regrettably we didn't do magic but hey
0: (laughs) didn't you Um, didn't you
1: pardon me yeah well when the books came out you know and and they came out i bought them in the kids edition because i found them in the uk first and then when they came out in the adult edition i bought them all again (laughs) So, because I could download them and put them on my on my electronic devices, and uh, nobody knew I was reading a kid's book. So, going back to your youth, did you? Yeah. Uh, when the dinosaurs were on the earth, you mean? You said
0: it. I didn't. I was gonna say you look the lovely <laughs> twenty-nine. That's all I'm putting out I just there. I
1: thought I'd get in there before you. Um, as we know each other of old. You said you wrote car-
0: comics for your kids in class. Uh, you said you've kept a diary. Did you write short stories as well, and just keep them secret yes. because your mother and father didn't foster that uh, side of you?
1: Oh, I have. I have hundreds and hundreds of notebooks filled with some of the worst short stories you will never see um, but it's a training ground right um, and the first time I think I got an inkling that I might be able to to do it adequately uh, was I wrote a short story and the only the only way I can describe it is when I finished it it felt like I'd taken um, a, a raw piece of metal and I turned it into a nice, shiny, round ball because the story all came together, and you know it was it was an interesting story, and it was like okay there is a form to this you 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 don't just take a lump of clay and kind of throw it on the table and go there's my creation you have to mold it and that was the first time I got an idea that there was going to be some work involved in actually becoming a proper writer if you like but I think everybody that writes anything whether you publish it or not if you keep a diary if you write short stories and put them in a notebook you're a writer because you're telling a story is the Diamond and Dorne series your first published work? Um it's my they're my first novels. Yes. First novels. Um I had I years ago I had some poems published. Um I've written um for magazines and things. But And uh, the Orno Weekly Times. But, and the Orino Weekly Times. Let's not forget the Orino Weekly Times in August publications still going after umpty umpty years in spite of our efforts. So yeah. Uh <laughs> yes. Um so I wrote lots of articles for, for the newspaper, uh wrote magazine articles about, you know, cars, motor cars that I'd owned and stuff like that. So a lot of kind of uh, real stuff. Um, But it wasn't until quite late on after life had stopped intruding and I didn't have to kind of adult quite so much that um, I actually... That novel and see if i can actually finish it
0: and that, that and that's the interesting part about your story is you you move from uh, england to canada in the early late 90s right yep, yep 95 95 you move there um and you don't you know nobody you start writing your poems you start writing for magazines you start writing for newspapers uh and then in 2015 that's when you 2015 i believe is when you first published yes, your right, yeah. first first book so yeah. let's talk about that first book w- when you sat down the first time and said i need to write a book and i'm going to write a book that's going to get published what was that and do you remember that moment for you yourself
1: um yeah i do because um We have a a phrase in England that I think Canadians understand, which is, you know, it's time to piss or get off the pot. And so it was, if I don't do it now, I'm never going to do it. And, you know, uh, my age is not a secret. In 1995, when I came over, I was 35. um, It was 20 years before I had enough space and enough confidence to decide that I was actually gonna try to write the book. So, um, I mean, for years up until that point, I'd been kind of toying with things and trying stuff out and nothing seemed to work. And then I took, a, um, of all things, a script writing course. And the thing that the script writing course taught me was about beats. And uh, anybody who knows anything about writing knows that um, beats are, the, the sections of uh, a story that allows you to condense the different parts of a story in your own mind, in maybe three or four sentences. So um, every story pretty much is, is done in three acts, so a beginning, a middle, and an end, if you want. And the beats uh, for the screenwriting course... Um, Gave me the idea of the or the structure, if you want, that you know, uh, you need three beats in the first part, three beats in the second part, and then three in the final part to bring the story home. And what that did was condense my thought about what I wanted to write, because before that, the, it was all over the place. I hadn't got a clue. I mean, I knew I wanted a story. I knew I'd got something in my head. There were characters leaping up and down and saying, "Pick me, pick me." <laughs> <laughs> But it was like, well, I can pick you, but I don't know what I'm going to do with you when I've done that. And so I had to learn all that before I could actually um, produce a structure, that that uh, a framework that I could hang that story and put those characters into. So the script writing course was actually the first moment when I thought, you know what, I can do this.
0: So what year was that? Um, what year was the script writing course?
1: That was probably 2013 um, because it took me two years From that point until when the book was finished in 2015 to realize um, you know on paper what it was that I had in my head and to to make sure that the the structure was strong enough to hang the story on Um, so that was that was that was a tough couple of years so but I was I was really glad that I that I took the time with it so explain to so what's
0: what's harder for yourself character development or story development
1: um, the characters generally come really easily um, because that's usually where I start. I know it sounds weird, but you know i i most writers have a lot of things going on in the background so you know we sit there staring into space and looking like we haven't got a clue but inside we're thinking of um, things we've seen in the news or uh, something we watched on TV or or something that actually happened to us and thinking how can I use that, that's great So I want to use it but I don't know where I'm going to use it and where my starting point usually comes for bringing all that together is I, I can be you know making a cup of tea or um ironing a shirt (laughs) that doesn't happen very often by the way (laughs) or you know anything and um and I get a line of dialogue like it can be it can be two lines or it can be a whole conversation between two people and I don't know who the two people are but the conversation is really intriguing so at that point, then I write it down, like find the, you know, every writer says, oh, keep a notebook in your back pocket and a pen. First of all, your notebook always goes walkabout and your pen never works. So you scrat around until you find the end of a, you know, back of an envelope and and you find something that you can write with, even if it's an eyebrow pencil. And you and you jot down what what just popped up in your head. And then that has to sit and ferment, and sometimes it ferments for quite a long time, and sometimes it's really quick, and you'll think, I know who these people are, I know the situation they're in, and those things that I was thinking about that are great ideas to throw into the mix are where I'm going to put them, and it goes from there, and... um, They they always say there are two kinds of writers. There are the planners and the pantsers. I happen to think that there are a lot more kinds of writers than that. But most writers, I think, are a combination of the two. So you'll get your inspiration – and that's the kind of pantsing part of it. And then you, your planning part of it is, okay, so, you know, I know what I want them to be doing. I, I know where I'm starting from. I've got a reasonable idea of where they're going, and let's set them off running. And that's that's the pantsing part of it because you can plan to put your characters wherever you like, and they will go wherever the hell they want. And it's the weirdest experience
0: so when when you started the actual writing your first novel in 2013 um, did it come easily like did like you said were you just finding that you were putting pen to paper or fingers to keyboard I'm not sure how you wrote it out the first time but was it easy to just was it just a natural succession of beginning middle end or did you have to go back and go okay nope this didn't work I'm going to do this over again or did you just hope write the whole novel first and then start cutting it like most uh, like I do when I write uh, articles
1: Uh, yeah hope is hope is what most writers run on I think and um, so yeah so I you know I mean it was I knew what the characters were going to be for the most part Um, one or two extra characters leapt up Uh, that I wasn't expecting that I had to kind of fit in somewhere because I knew they had to be in there I just didn't know where they fit and my usual um, method hasn't really changed from the first book to the the most recent ones which is I try and power through the first draft to get the story down and then you leave it for I don't know. I I don't leave it very long because if I leave it too long, I lose the thread. So I leave it for about a week. I go do something else, and then I'll come back to it. And you read through it, and you go, "This is terrible," <laughs> <laughs> you know, which it it is, right? And it's supposed to be. Oh, if it's, it's if
0: it's good the real. first time, you've done something wrong.
1: If it's if it's good the first time, you're blowing smoke up your own backside. Basically. Yes. Um so you know you have to kind of really sit yourself down and go okay I know there are holes in this it's either too short or it's too long or it sags in the middle or I've got a character in here who is doing nothing. Like, you know, my my ego said, this is a great character. You should put him in there. And they're just swanning around, just getting in the way and not being useful at all for pushing the story forward. And so because my books are most – well, they're almost entirely character-driven. Um, if it doesn't – if the characters aren't behaving the way you expect them to behave – um, one of two things is happening. Either you have started writing a story that you didn't know you were going to be writing, but is better than the story that you were going to write, or um, you're trying to shoehorn somebody in there that doesn't belong in there. And so then the, the trick is to figure out which of those it is. And so um Madman, for instance, came really quickly in terms of the story because um, the... Um, so
0: for those who so those who are listening, Mad Men is your first novel?
1: Mad Men is the first book. Okay. Uh, this one here. I just happen to have here. Look at that. I ordered
0: mine two weeks ago, and it still hasn't arrived. Yes. Because, yeah. because <laughs> yes. the Zahn has this whole COVID-19 thing going on, and everything's going to be delivered in May.
1: <laughs> well, you know what? On that subject, as it is International Book Day today.
0: Happy International uh, Book Day. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> it's almost as though you planned it totally uh, <laughs> uh, you can if you go to my website you can actually download Madman for free the full book um, and you know that'll give you an idea of, uh, of what the stories are about and if you like more then you can you can get more from Amazon but um, that was the first book was Madman and I knew that the um, the The first thing that happens in the book is is a real incident, and uh, it happened in May 1886 in Chicago. And that's why the series is set in Chicago, really, is because that first incident um, took place there, and it was a real incident, and it shocked me, because I thought I was pretty good at history, and I knew quite a lot of history, and when I uncovered this, I'd never heard of it before. And so I thought, well, you know what? Let's make that the adventure that these guys are going on. And so um, that's that's how the whole kind of um, – Central mystery, if you like, was created for that book. Uh, But in between times, I'd been trying to work out who the characters were going to be. And going back to this script writing course, I wrote a whole script about a guy uh, who goes to a mining town in Arizona in the 1870s to uh, uncover the mystery of a whole bunch of missing people. And I couldn't make it work. It was one of those things that got shoved in a drawer because, like, the guy I chose as the hero was a complete waste of space. I mean, he was useless, had no personality. I couldn't even think of a name for him. And so I shoved it in the drawer. But also in that script were a couple of cops in Chicago who um, were at the beginning of the investigation because they were the ones who stumbled across the first crime in what turns out to be a chain of crimes. It's not giving too much away to say that. And um so while I'm battling trying to get this this Arizona story going, in the back of my mind I've got these two characters going, hey, hey, pick me, pick us, pick us. You know, and it's like, what the heck, will you just shut up? I'm trying to write a book here. And I and I After I kind of looked at it, and I thought, you know what, forget it. What have I got to lose? I'll go with these two guys and see where they take me. And they were Diamond and Doran. And I could picture Diamond really clearly um, in physical terms, but I hadn't got a clue what kind of person he was really. Uh, And Doran I could picture physically really well, and I knew pretty much everything about that guy from the get-go. And so it was like, okay, so... I know what Doran is like. I have an f- idea of physicality of, of Diamond. How can I make these two guys like clash? Because that's that's got to be the initial kind of introduction. So long story short, I gave them every kind of conflict they could have. So Doran is an old Irish guy who's <laughs> 20 years on the force. He is jaded to all hell. He's got five unmarried daughters and he's a widower. Okay. He is just like he's. Threw
0: everything in the kitchen sink at him, didn't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did. I threw the whole whole nine yards at him. And then I gave him an explosion in the middle of, of his police department that killed and injured so many of his officers that he was shorthanded. So it's like, okay, and then into this scene walks this scrawny, red-haired English dude who has been in the British Army. He was born in Toronto uh, and had a, a rough upbringing and uh, ran away to join the British Army at 12. And uh, he'd been in the Army for you know a good few years and then he gets uh, invalided out as the only survivor of his regiment And he's looking for another home because the army was his home basically and so somebody suggested the Chicago Police Department were looking for cops so he's a rookie in the in the Chicago Police Department and he's foisted on Doran (laughs) so diamond is English He's a young guy, which Doran resents. He's eager, which is really annoying. And he's a Protestant, and Doran is a Catholic. And it's there were just so many points that you could give them, right? So I've got to ask so, the question
0: before you go on. Are these based on somebody? Because it sounds like <laughs> these just did not come out of nowhere. <laughs>
1: Well, this is the thing, right? I mean, you would think. I mean, I don't know where Doran came from, to be perfectly honest. Uh, the name Doran is a family name. Okay. And uh, so that's where that name came from. And and Diamond was kind of a tricky one because um, I wanted something that was going to give people the idea that he was a good guy. And so, you know, you think of things like, I don't know, um, Robbie Stone or uh, Steve Steele. And it's like, Jesus, no, I'm not doing that. And uh, Arthur is a good, solid English name, you know, King Arthur and all that. He's a hero and all, all that kind of stuff. And I thought diamond is, is you know, a gem, quite literally, and also hard because the only thing you can cut glass with is a diamond, right? Yeah. So that kind of gave him a little bit of an edge. And uh, physically, um, I made him look like my kid. <laughs> <laughs> so
0: when you were explaining it to me i was like this sounds like chris to a t just yeah
1: right (laughs) i don't think i've ever told him that by the way so if he sees this he's gonna kill me if he uh, just tell him
0: to subscribe to the podcast and he can listen to it in two weeks time that's
1: right yeah yeah, you're gonna ask me now what it's worth not to let him see it right no never
0: (laughs) wink wink um so You've written Mad Men, and you've written five others with the. Uh,
1: no, I, I think we're up to like book five now, or something. I mean, once I've written them, I kind of <laughs> kind of forget how many there are. So, uh, so the the sequence is uh, Mad Men was the first. Uh, the second one is called Poison. For some unknown reason, that goes really well in India, and I'm a, a little concerned they might be using it as some kind of a you know um, a manual of some sort. I hope not. Um, the third book is called Vendetta. Uh, and the fourth book is, is called uh, Tontine. And then there is uh, a little sort of Christmas short story, which is a story that um, is the bridge between uh, Tontine and the next book in the series, which is going to be called Treason. Um, and in between times, uh, I uh, took one of the characters from Madman and gave him uh, a couple of adventures of his own. Uh, and that's the Drew McMillan that's the Drew McMillan character yeah so in Mad Men um, because they need to follow somebody who knows both Diamond and Doran Doran goes to uh, an old friend of his who is a Pinkerton agent in Chicago and asks him if he will follow this guy and uh, it was only supposed to be a kind of small part and uh, it came out really well And so the thought that I had was, this guy is is too good to waste. And um, so I went back to my Arizona story, and I put Drew McMillan in there. And it was like it came alive. It was suddenly that story had been waiting for that character. So um, the Drew McMillan stories are um, 16 years in time before uh, the Diamond and Dorian stories, so okay. Diamond and Dorian so set in 1886, and uh, and the Drew McMillan stories start in 1870, and it's Drew McMillan as a young Pinkerton agent, and the first book, which is called Argent, um, the one set in Arizona, is uh, is his first case, his first solo case. So let's so, let's um, talk about
0: finishing that first novel, Mad Men Yeah. what was that like for you when you actually got it all done you were happy with the content who did you first give it to to say make sure this isn't just a pile of crap like (laughs) tell me it's good before I go and publish it
1: well I have a few good friends and uh, people with great grammar (laughs) (laughs) and who are uh, voracious readers in the same kind of genre stuff and uh I gave it to them, and a couple of them had some suggestions, and one of them came back and went, okay, like the the manuscript when they gave it back to me was covered in red, and it was like, oh my God, like do I have to rewrite all of this? And she went, no, but I want you to read through the notes, and I want you to tell me what you agree with, and you know, what you don't agree with, because... It's you know, it's good in its bones and it will work but it can be better. And so uh she was invaluable to me and uh, I use her a lot for all the subsequent books. Um, because she doesn't just go through and like, you know, put take out the too many commas that I always put in, um, or correct the spelling or uh, you know, some of the grammar that's in there, although grammar has never been my strong suit in books. Um, but she also um, will read the book with a, a, a redesign and say, you know what? This is like – this just flags like crazy in the middle and you need to do something about that um, because the middles are always the hardest part of a book really.
0: You know what the beginning so, yeah, is. You know what were, the ending is. You just – how do you combine the two, right?
1: Well, two things kind of happen. I mean you you – you usually know what the beginnings going to be, and it, you know, you ha- you have to hook people in the first few pages, otherwise they're not going to finish the book, and you have to finish strong too, otherwise they're going to be disappointed, right? But in the middle, always, I don't care who you are, I don't care whether you're Hilary Mantel or whether you're Neil Gaiman, or you you lose your way sometimes because when the characters are kind of taking you off at a tangent and you follow down some of these roads and they don't go anywhere, you, you kind of lose your confidence a little bit. And you have to backtrack and go, okay, that didn't work. Did the original idea work better and then go from there? Neil Gaiman actually had a really good um, analogy for this, for the middle part of a book. And he said it's like driving down a country lane at night with one headlight on So you can see a little bit ahead of you in your story, but you can't see the whole way. And sometimes you will come to a bend in the road without, you know, like realizing it. And if you're not careful, you're going to skid right off. So and that's that's a very good way of describing the middle of of a book. You know, sometimes it can be like wading through treacle to to get to that. Um, that end bit where you can kind of close it all off Um, so having somebody who's discerning enough to be able to read it and say nope that is too slow or there's not enough detail or you know all these details in your head but you haven't put it on the page so it's confusing is really useful
0: did you give it to your husband and your son?
1: no I don't let them read anything I write (laughs) have they read it? Uh no, I don't think so.
0: <laughs> wow, wow. Family love there, Tracy Fell.
1: Um I mean <laughs> Simon, my husband's not much of a reader. Okay. okay. I don't think he's read a book since university. <laughs> um in fairness, and uh my son uh writes his own stuff, so you know, he's he's not and he's in a completely different genre to me. Okay. Um so, I mean, I, I have given him passages to read and said, you know, this really sucks and I can't figure out why. And he will look at it and go, it's this, this and this. Um, so I do. He does see parts, but he, he never usually sees the whole thing.
0: So you get that manuscript back from your friends who have uh, uh, gone over it with a fine Destroyed tooth. It. <laughs> your yeah. words, not mine. <laughs>
1: yeah, but they always give constructive <clears> notes. Which is which is the the main thing, right?
0: Yeah. So they give you back that manuscript for the first time. You go back and you re you you look it over. You make all the edits that you want to. You're yeah. you, I'm assuming you're ready to publish at this time, and this is early 2015. Yeah. So this is early 2015. So well,
1: this, it's probably about the middle of 2015 because I think the the book actually came out in December, if I remember. Okay, right, I, was gonna, I I thought it was October. The other but, thing was, you know, when do you put it out? right so you know christmas time people buy books and you know it sounds mercenary but the timing is everything sometimes especially with the first book um and so it was de- i think it was december and it was published but it was pretty much finished by the summer of 2015 uh, so
0: self-published right
1: yeah oh yeah yeah
0: self-published
1: uh, um through amazon
0: so you put you put it out there for the world because that's probably, that's a big leap, right? For someone who yeah. hasn't had that much uh, uh, international exposure, I would say, but you never know. Yeah. The Arno Weekly yeah. Times does go to a few countries. Um, yeah. d- were you hesitant when you first put that publish, when you first hit that button to publish it? Or were you like, you know what? I'm happy. I'm mm-hmm. content with this. Was there a nerve that you had?
1: Um. In terms of uh, whether I thought the story was ready to go I was because uh, I was I mean you always can tinker with a story uh, it's like a painting right you know but but you put one stroke on a painting and you've ruined it and it's the same with a book you know I'll, I'll just add an extra chapter and then the book just goes yeah so it was like, you know what? I'm content. I I told the story I want to tell. I've introduced the characters I want to introduce. And I hope, you know, that it's an interesting enough story for people to want to wanna read cover to cover. And I put it out there. And um,
0: what was your I, initial thought? What, what did you think was going to happen? When my you put initial
1: it- thought was I finished it. I finished a book. I was, I was actually just really... Um, happy with with myself that I'd managed to start it and finish it Um, you know it was a completed story because because the mountain to climb was can I actually write a full novel and I did that I achieved that and then in pretty short order when people started to order it and read it and then I was getting comments back Saying, "Wow, this is good. I really enjoyed it. When's the next one coming out?" It was like, "Next one? What's the next
0: one?" <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to know. How did the other option? Uh, how did the other books come about? Because you you wrote your book. You're you're happy. You're content. Yeah, I'm assuming. I
1: was, happy. I was done. Now I everyone's
0: done. like, "We want more."
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is the problem when when you create. Um, a set of characters which which has an afterlife, okay? I mean, all my characters live every day in my head. Sometimes it gets really noisy in there. Um, and so what I created in Mad Men through Doran and his little family of five daughters was a whole bunch of other stories that could be told because these these women all had... To have jobs because they couldn't live off their their father. You know, they had to make their own way. So they all had jobs. They all had different personalities. They were all living in the same house. And anybody who's got sisters knows what it's like to live in a small house with four or five women you know all kind of with their own personalities and their own needs and their own you know kind of uh, eccentricities and and it was just too exciting to, to, to not to explore in a way and um, of course then you've got the other thing of diamond is a young guy and he accidentally meets one of doran's daughters in spite of doran trying to keep them apart and that spots something else. And so, you know, then you've got the will they, won't they kind of thing going on. And um, people wanted to know what happened to them. And it was like, well, I know what happened to them in my head, but I haven't thought about putting it on paper. And so it was like, well, you know what? I've got to write another book and kind of move these people along. Yeah. and um, And about
0: so- that. Yeah, most authors that I, I've listened to interviews with they always are afraid to write the second book because they're never <laughs> sure if it's going to be better like J.D. Salinger is the, like the one that comes to my mind right he's yeah. always afraid yeah. that if he wrote a second book it would not uh, be as good as his first so yeah. did you have that fear when you were starting your second book
1: well let's let's face it I, I am neither J.D. Salinger nor am I J.K. Rowling So um, I think it was Dennis Lehane has a quote from years ago where he says, you know, write like nobody gives a shit because guess what? Nobody gives a shit. (laughs) I
0: guess so. I guess that's the perfect way to say it.
1: So it was like, you know what? I'm going to write like nobody gives a shit. People have asked me what happens to these characters. I'm just going to put you know, put it out there, and if people want more, then there might be another one, but we'll see. So it wasn't, I never set out to write five books about these people. I set out to write one book for my own satisfaction, and then people started to pick up on it, and they were they wanted to know what was happening with these people, and and then I wanted to know what happened to these people. And um, and they have grown from the, the first book, from Mad Men, to uh, the latest book, which is, I guess, the Christmas book would be the latest book, but that's a short story. The full book is Tontine. And and they have moved along. You know, things have happened to the daughters. Things have happened to, to Diamond and Doran. Things have happened to Drew Macmillan and to a few of the other characters that are in there that, that uh, reoccur. So... Um, it kind of took on a life of its own I guess is the way to describe it and was the
0: second book easier to write than the first
1: you know the second book which was Poison uh, took me I don't know maybe four months wow. start to finish it just it came that quickly because the the story came quickly um, because one of the things that I do a lot of is research and uh, I read a lot of Uh, history and I read a lot of true crime from way back when, you know, kind of the Jack the Ripper kind of stuff. I love all that, all that gory stuff. And uh, Chicago's had some really interesting criminals over the years. And so with a little bit of tweaking, you can take a little bit of one and a little bit of another and you can create a whole different kind of, you know, criminal brain. And, um, in poison the that character came really quickly um the victims came really quickly and then, then the whole story just kind of took off and and so it was very quick to write from start to finish um so yeah I, but then the third book was was like pulling teeth
0: <laughs> and and the third book you knew you wanted to write a third book or was it more um, of a yeah, you know what I there's still it, a story that i can tell
1: yeah, I mean, in, in Vendetta, there was um, there was more of Diamond's story to tell, because through the first three books, um, we explore the backstories, and and Diamond's backstory is actually pretty interesting, um, and so uh, it gave me the opportunity to explore his backstory in the third book. Um, I did a little bit in the second book, too. But by Vendetta, I, I actively wanted to um, uncover more of his past and to kind of give that to the reader because it kind of fills out his character more um, and explains a lot of his attitudes and the way he he works um, so that, you know, it doesn't seem like such a mystery when he's, when he's doing particular things at any one time. So... Um, By the time um, I I was doing the third book, by the time I was doing Vendetta, it was a very deliberate, you know, yeah, we're going to do this. Uh, And then um, when I wrote Tontine, it was just such a really good story that I I wanted to, like, get it out there because it was was, – juicy, so, if you can put it that way. Do you do you find it odd people,
0: uh, like whenever I wrote things, especially in newspapers, uh, when I was on the radio, when I was in television, I always found it odd for people to want to listen to my stuff or read my stuff. How do you feel about all the good Comments you get from uh, people. Does it drive you to want to write more, or does it does it irk you a bit? Because it irked me when I ever heard like, "Oh, I like that story," or I was like, "Okay, what do you like? What's your (laughs) what's your alternative motive here?" Because I I feel like you're gonna like slap me or stab me in the back as I turn around. So did you do you find the Good comments that you get from the books, uh, reassuring that you're doing something that is uh, uh, helping some people or making a difference in some people's lives?
1: Well, it's classic writer's paranoia, isn't it, really? Um, I mean, I've been very lucky. Um, A lot of writers experience this thing where they'll get 100 people who say, oh, that was fabulous. And then they get one really, really shitty review and they can't shake it off. And, um, I think I've only had one that, that was kind of mildly, I don't know, I I can't remember what they said even, but, you know, they, they kind of got themselves lost in the fact that there are quite a lot of characters in my book and, um, I think I am guilty of that a little bit of doing the the Dickensian thing and like putting you know probably ten more characters in there than anybody can cope with at any one time. Um, But I I do kill some of them off, so you know the the numbers do decrease as you as you go through. But yeah, I mean the thing the thing that I um, encountered that shocked me more than anything was once people started to notice the books. Uh, then you've got to do the marketing thing right Uh, because people come and say well where can we get them and it's like well just you know log on to Amazon and they're right there and it's like no you've got to give people more than that so um, I created uh, had a a website created for me by a very good friend of ours Okay. Roxanne Johnston. Yep. Uh, an excellent uh, graphic designer, by the way. If you need a if you need a website at any time, and uh, Roxy did me a, an absolutely bitching website, and we put all the books on there, and uh, the the freebie is on there too. Madman <laughs> shameless plug. <laughs> and um, people could leave comments on there, and. Uh, great review notices and things on there and once that stuff starts coming in it's kind of a a little bit of a double-edged sword in some ways because you start to think to yourself well what will the right what would the readers like me to write and that's a mistake right um once you start thinking well i have to please the readers um you can you can mess with your process and you can mess with your characters in a way that actually damages them. So um from my perspective, I I love to have um comments from people and people do send me comments. Um I have a, a newsletter and I send it out every month and um people respond to the newsletter and, you know, they'll say, I I read whichever book it was and it was really, really good. And I gave it to a friend and they really enjoyed it. Um, Or, I mean, in in one of the books, um, one of the topics that I deal with was um, childbirth. And that seems like a weird topic to deal with in a mystery novel, but it did have a purpose. Uh, And a couple of people wrote to me and said, you know what? Like I never knew that this was – you know, the way it used to be and how hard it would be and all of that stuff. And it's kind of the idea that I was sort of um, showing people something that they never knew before was almost as exciting as the fact that they really enjoyed the read, because it was like, oh, okay, cool. So people are happy to learn new things. And so if I can, you know, put a little bit of that in a book and not tick people off then that's great Yeah, because you have to be really careful with that stuff you know I mean I can I can research down that rabbit hole as you know um, for months on end and want to stuff it all in the book and you don't want to do that because people are just going to like fall asleep you know because what I find fascinating is not necessarily fascinating to other people but when you get people who contact you and say that was really fascinating it's like yes yes i did it properly so did the job
0: do you write um how do i how am i going to word this properly do you still find writing enjoyable with now that people are wanting you to do more and continue the storyline to tell the story or are you finding it more daunting because you're now like okay i don't want to piss off the readers and i want (laughs) to keep them engaged
1: um, it's not piss off so much as disappoint. That's where we am. And, um, and yes, there is that pressure there that wasn't there at the beginning because, you know, now you've kind of created characters that people are, have become attached to. And so, I mean, I understand that. I mean, my books are kind of a cross between. Um, I don't know to give people a, a a quick kind of reference. They're a cross between Murdoch Mysteries and Blue Bloods. Okay, okay? so you know a cop family in the eighteen eighties um, with all the things that come with that—the pressures and the the joy and and you know the the dangers and everything—and um, I know I need to be true to that because that's where it came from. And I have to be very careful, as I say, not to kind of think, well, what would the public like to read? Because the the people who don't want to read what comes next in the story are not going to stick with you anyway. And the people who love these characters I mean, they'll let you know. I, I actually, I actually killed one off, and I was terrified I was going to get a whole bunch of hate mail, and you know, people were going to say, "How could you do that?" You know, I got one person who went, "I'm really sad because you killed that character off," and he's like, "Oh, they were sad. That means they were attached to him. That's great." Um, and I did apologise to them and said, you know, I'm sorry, but you know, in the service of the story, it was necessary. I'm just saying, um, J.K.
0: Rowling never apologised for killing Dumbledore, so I
1: was going to say she. She has no compunction about killing all these people we love. So you know, um, Julian, you know, you know, uh, Downton Abbey. Yep. Well, the guy who created Danton Abbey is Julian Fellows, uh, Sir Julian or Lord Julian or whatever the hell he is, and. uh uh, somebody asked him about Downton and and what his kind of method was and he said uh, you can never put too many weddings or too many funerals in it <laughs> and it's like you know what there's some there's something in that you know because we all we all love a wedding and we're all very sad at a funeral and and it's life right you know i mean the whole thing of telling the stories Um, The worst piece of advice I ever got was when I was quite young. I think I was probably about 15 or 16. And I was talking to uh, somebody who I quite revered. Uh, They weren't famous or anything, but they'd written stuff. And uh, I said, so, you know, what do I need to, to know to be a writer? Write what you know. That is the worst advice ever to give a young person. Why is that? Well, because I misinterpreted it, right? And I think a lot of people misinterpret it. And it's the the thought of, uh, as a 15-year-old is, well, what the hell do I know? I've had no life. I don't know anything. But what I think they meant, and and the way that I would couch it if I was talking to a young person now who wants to write, is what you know is things like how you feel and how you react to real life and how situations that you find yourself in create the person that you're going to be because you have to overcome those things. And that's what write what you know means. And so anything else you can find out. Like, I mean, I didn't didn't know how cops behaved in the 1880s in Chicago, so I had to find out. So, you know, write what you want to find out, by all means. But writing what you know is is being a human being, is being, you know, a real person in real situations and how that feels because your characters are real people in real situations. You know, they may be, you know, in novels, but they're still supposedly real enough to the to you and to the people who are going to read for, for that to be true. So
0: heading into the end of the interview here. Um, mm hmm. What have you learned about yourself in the last five years since writing, starting writing these books?
1: I'm a horrible procrastinator. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm a shockingly bad procrastinator.
0: Why would you say um, that?
1: Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, my writing process is, is kind of all over the place in some ways because I get, as I've explained, I get dialogue and I get character names and I get situations and it takes me a while to get those all into a a neat kind of deck of cards if you like rather than a horrible jumble Um, but the actual physicality of writing for me I cannot sit with my backside in in a chair in front of my laptop and type out my novel I can't do it because the juices just turn off because I'm so um uh Phobic about the technology that I'm constantly worrying that I'm going to lose it all or that, you know, I've typed a, an app where I need a speech mark or whatever and it just blows my mind and I can't keep those two things together um, and be creative. So I I have bursts of energy. I mean, I can go weeks and weeks and not write a thing and then I will have three days where I can write pretty much 50% of a book wow. and I write longhand. So by the end of the three days, I'm physically exhausted. <laughs> I've got cramp and I've ruined every one of my fountain pens. So, <laughs> so then I have to go on a shopping spree and get more. Right. But, um, that's my excuse. But yeah. So, I mean, in terms of learning about, um, my process, I think what I've learned is that my ideas are pretty solid. So by the time I'm getting them down on paper, they're going to I know they're going to work, but I also realize that I'm not the kind of person who can just, you know, bang them out. You know, I'm not a James Patterson. Uh, although, in fairness, James Patterson doesn't write his own books anymore. Or around.
0: Stephen King.
1: <laughs> or Stephen King. Oh man, that guy, unbelievable! I wish. he sneezes and I he has wish. a new
0: book for some reason.
1: Yeah, I mean, he thinks it, and it's on the page, right? Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that way. I'm not built that way. So. Um, there's a level of frustration involved in it because of the way that I do write. But I know I'm going to get to the end of it eventually. And I also discovered, much to my dismay, that if I give myself an artificial deadline, uh, then the week before the deadline is my most productive period. Oh, OK. I <laughs> understand it so, all. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I can spend um, – Five months procrastinating and thinking I'm not doing anything and then the deadline's kind of 10 days away and it's like okay now you've got to actually do it and I can do it and um and that's good in some ways but I just wish it wasn't quite so um (laughs) chaotic in that way
0: um so what's next well you're you're writing the next book uh from what i understand from your conversation so far but is there a new avenue of books coming out we've got the diamond and doran series we've got the drew mcmillan series is there a potential third series coming out or are you oh look at that i i don't even i I, hit
1: on that i don't (laughs) know where you get your information from but that it's great You're, you're really on the ball there. Uh yeah, so um is it still- before the end of this year. Yep. Um there should be uh, a new Diamond and Doran out. So that book will be called Treason. I'm aiming towards Christmas. I suspect they're all gonna collide in the Christmas period. Um there is the second Drew McMillan book called New Orleans because uh, that's the city he's gonna be in, so we may have a little Magic involved in that, we'll see. Uh, and then the third series is one that I've been working on for most of the year, uh, which is set in in England in the 1920s and 30s. And uh, the series is called Grace and Favour Mysteries. Uh, so no guesses, uh, no prizes for guessing what the sleuths are called. And uh,
0: <laughs> I wonder.
1: And so, yeah, I wonder, I wonder. So the idea behind uh, Grace and Favour is. Um, we have a cop, and uh, we have a socialite, and uh, they have a shared passion, and uh, they don't know each other before uh, the um, the thing that brings them together happens. Uh, but once they do know each other, uh, a few fireworks start, and, uh, and we go from there, and so that Um, I have plans for that to be uh, a series of sorts. I'm not sure how far out it will go, Uh, but I'm probably going to take them from I think they start in 1924 or 1925 and I'll probably take them to 1939. Um, depending on how it's received you know if people hate it then obviously one book will be enough Uh, but we'll see
0: so Um, I've got to ask the question though um, mm -hmm. is this like a Marvel cinematic universe like all of them are connected in the same world like we're (laughs) expecting the Diamond, Dorian, uh, Drew No,
1: no I don't think we're going to go there Um, I mean I probably could actually because you know uh, Diamond's got a family and and they're going to continue, so at some point their paths may cross. Who knows? Um, you know, all things. I are want a co-authorship never. on
0: that. I'm just putting that out there. I want a co-authorship.
1: <laughs> okay, yeah, right. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you a co-credit. Who's
0: that? <laughs> in the footnotes on the left page.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Tiny little, little letters. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh well. Um. Uh, my last question is: uh, Where can people buy the book? So we talked about the website. What is the website? Just in case people want to know.
1: OK, so um, the website is is really hard to remember. It's uh, www.tracytonkinson.com. Uh, dot com, not dot so, C.A. Uh, OK, yeah, I wrote it down somewhere. Presumably you'll stick it on the end of your podcast. I certainly uh, will. If I sent you the details. Yep. And um, they can buy the books on there as well. Uh, they can buy they can get to Amazon via my website Uh, if you click on the book covers uh, it will take you directly to the site or you can just wherever you live you know whether you're in India or Brazil or Japan or Europe or UK Canada or the US um, you can go to your uh, Amazon site of choice Uh, if you go to if you want to download the books uh, go to Kindle the Kindle bookstore and type in my name and uh, uh, the books will pop up and uh if you want uh paperbacks cuz they're they're available in paperback too um just go to the the books uh, section at, at uh, amazon and and you can order the books um i'm not sure what the situation is with printing them right now cuz they print on demand they, uh, to save the trees
0: yeah like i said it, it i ordered your books uh 2 weeks ago and
1: yeah, you, you probably won't see those. They're probably busy shipping N95 masks right now. So so you may have a, a long wait on those. Um, but you can download them right away yeah. uh, through the Kindle store. And uh, I, I mean, that's how I'm getting most of my books right now. <laughs> I need the physical thing on my hand. I can't. I can't. I, you know what? I, I still love physical books too. And um, one of the things that I did do um, – so that because a lot of people said to me well you know like especially with covid right now and the lockdown people would say well you know I want some I don't just want like one book you know it's not worth my while to go get one book and i said well you know i've i've put the first 3 into one volume now so you know you can either have a brick delivered to your to your house or you can download the three novels as one one uh, one download uh, on the Amazon site. So if people want to kind of you know get a feel for the whole thing right off the bat, then uh, you can go to the the sort of collect collection of the first three books that way. Awesome. Uh, and and the same with Drew Mac. Uh, you know they're available too on the same site. They're on the same page. Awesome. Well,
0: Tracy, thank you very much for this. I I'm looking actually. Thank I'm you. really looking forward to them. I just covid and all that fun stuff (laughs) yeah but thank you very much for this um greatly appreciate it um uh this will be airing in about two weeks time so next saturday so look forward i'll tag you in instagram and facebook and And all
1: that cool stuff twitter
0: and all that all all the cool kids are doing twitter these days (laughs) remember when we
1: somebody put me on whatsapp and i haven't got a clue what to do with it i don't even know what that is I know I'm on Instagram, and Facebook and uh, and, uh, you know, got a website and stuff. And, and I'm just about technophobed out with those right now. So I, anything else I'm a dinosaur for. I, I,
0: and I, I think our former editor of the paper had it right. Social media is the downfall. Yes.
1: Yes, it's bringing down society one one website at a time, isn't it? Really.
0: <laughs> yes. Anyway, thank you very much for this. I'm going to sign off, and then I want to chat it's to you probably. off off the for yeah. a second. This was fun. And once again, thank you to our guest for coming in and sitting down today. It was greatly appreciated. As I've said in the introduction, this podcast is about having a conversation. I learned a lot in this interview, and I really hope you did too. This podcast couldn't have happened without our listeners. From here in Alberta to across Canada and around the world, I want to take this moment and thank everyone for listening to this podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. The links are in the show notes. Or visit our website at www.crossborderinterviews.ca. We will be back here next Saturday with another great episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. This podcast is produced and owned by Miranda Brown and Associates. I'm your host, Christopher Brown. Once again, have a safe and hopefully talkative week.